For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Could you please stand and let's say that together in, re- in honor of God's word. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. This is God's promise for you. And it is one of the most famous, memorized, well-known promises to all mankind, to believers and non-believers. It is the promise that is seen on football players' faces. It is the promise that is graffitied on street walls. And it is the promise seen on bumper stickers across the nation. And it was this promise that was first spoken by Jesus to a Pharisee named Nicodemus in a private, intimate meeting. And it has reached this room over 2,000 years later. And it was this promise that was spoken to this Pharisee because he was desperately seeking hope and truth and knowledge. And it has continued to spread across the globe, reaching the hearts and minds of men and children and women everywhere. And it's radically changing lives. I think that's a global pandemic. And it's still spreading, right? No one can stop it. And it was this promise that reached my heart as a little girl, as a young child, when I was around 11 years old. It was the only promise that I knew, and it was the only Bible verse I had memorized. And because of this, it saved me at a Bible church camp. The game was capture the flag, and if I got tagged, I had to freeze, and the only way to unfreeze was if I recited from memory to a camp counselor a Bible verse, and this was the only verse that I knew, and so I was kind of slow, and I got tagged a lot, and so I was saying it again and again and again, and I think other kids were catching on because there was one time I was frozen, and this kid runs by, and he's like, next time, say John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept, trust me, it's in the Bible. And the only reason I knew he wasn't messing with me, because I kind of thought he was, was I'd use that the next time I had to unfreeze, and the counselor was like, yep, you're free to go. And I was like, yes. (laughs) And it was at that camp that week that I committed my life to following Jesus. And I believed the words that Jesus spoke, that God saved me. And when I look back on that time in my life, I, I know for sure that was the moment that I made the official decision. But I actually think... It was a few years before this that I truly knew what it meant that God saved me. I was around six or seven years old, and my mom had just picked me up from daycare. And it must have been close to Easter because I asked my mom, why do we celebrate Easter? And I believe that the words my mom spoke became the foundational seeds of faith into my heart. She said, well, there's this man named Jesus, and he died on the cross for you, and he rose three days later, and we celebrate Easter in honor of him. And I just remember being like, what do you mean he died for me? I don't understand what that means. And she said, well, Jesus is God's son. And God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you so that you wouldn't have to. He paid for all the bad and the wrong things that you've done so that when you die, you don't have to pay for them. And then she went on to explain in the best way that you can to a child about life after death, about hell in heaven, and how the promise of eternal life is given to anybody who believes that Jesus is their Savior. And I just remember taking it all in. And I remember this so clearly. I unbuckled my seatbelt, 
and I laid back on the back seat of my mom's red LeBaron, and I was staring up into the cloudy sky, just thinking about everything she had told me. And all I could do was just start crying. Why would God love me that much? Why would he give up his child for this child? I didn't even know who Jesus was. And what if Jesus changed his mind? And what if I did have to pay for everything I've done? And I just remember feeling so loved by God. And I remember feeling so much love for him that he would do that for me, that all I could do was just cry. That was the moment where my heart as a child truly understood what it meant that God saved me. And now here I am. I've lived a journey of faith with the Lord, experiencing many highs and lows, as many of us do. And how is it that I can have a moment like that, but then other times I can hear that exact same truth, but it doesn't penetrate my heart as much as it did before? How can I have a moment where I hear about Jesus dying on the cross for me and it brings me to tears and then other times I can be standing in worship and singing about that very same thing but I'm thinking about what I want for lunch. Has that ever happened to you or maybe that's just me? Or maybe for you it's never been in your heart. It's only head knowledge. Why is it that our hearts and our minds can't fire on all the same cylinders at the exact same time to grasp the totality of what Jesus Christ did for us? And here's why. I think it's just because we're human. And I think he knows that about us too. I think we forget and lose perspective really easily. I mean, how many of us have been so busy with life and work and success and the striving, but it takes one funeral for us to go home and to hold our loved ones tighter? Or how many of you have felt disconnected in a relationship but then you spend time with that person or you go on an anniversary trip and you're reminded again of the love that you have. How many of you have watched a child just fly through their childhood years? I've seen some of you posting graduation pictures, the last day of their senior year and their first day of kindergarten. And it's powerful because it's moments like these that bring us back to reality and remind us of what's truly important and how fast life goes. And if we don't grab hold of it and if we don't keep the perspective close, we can lose sight very quickly. And if we can do that with our friends and our family and our loved ones, then we can do that with God too. And the act of the sacrificial love that he displayed on the cross can slowly become white noise to those who believe. And that doesn't mean we love him any less or are any less grateful for what he did for us. But what it may mean is that the closeness of that promise and the fact that we have been saved has slowly started to slip into the back of our consciousness. And the slow fading away should be a red light, an indicator to us that we need to draw near again, that we need to be close with our Savior. He desires for us to remember. It's like he wants to go on an anniversary trip with you again so that we can be close and truly grasp what salvation means to me. Because here's why. If we don't do this, If I don't do this, if I don't keep the perspective really close to the forefront of my mind, if I don't remember that I'm saved, I won't live saved. I'm going to say this again because this is what I'm driving home today. If I don't remember I'm saved, then I won't live saved. Live saved. 
What does that mean? I'm going to give you an example. So about five years ago, as a staff, we watched the Alpha video series that we offer here at the church, and it's a discipleship teaching course. And as a way to personalize the sacrificial act of love that Jesus displayed on the cross, they shared the story of an Auschwitz concentration camp prisoner named Francis Gajanoshek. Francis was one of 10 men who was randomly chosen by the Gestapo to face death by starvation simply as a means to set an example to the rest of the prisoners of what would happen if they disobeyed. And when Francis's name was called out as one of the men to receive death, he immediately cried out, my wife, my children, because he knew he was never going to see them again. And in that moment, Maximilian Kolbe, Catholic priest, a fellow prisoner and a complete stranger to Francis, stepped forward and volunteered to switch places with him. That volunteered switch was agreed upon by the Gestapo. And two weeks later, Maximilian Kolbe was killed by lethal injection because the Gestapo grew impatient with the starvation process. And I'm listening to this, and I'm, of course, in awe that Max would give up his life for another man. But there was something else that gripped my heart as I was watching this video series, and it was this. It said that Francis survived the camp. And when he got out, he dedicated the rest of his life, the next 53 years of his life, making sure that every single person would know who Maximilian Kolbe was and that every single person would know that Max died to save him. In 1994, he was quoted saying this, So long as I have breath in my lungs, I consider it my duty to tell people about the heroic act of love by Maximilian Kolbe. And I'm sitting there watching this video and I'm thinking, he got it. Francis got it. He knew what it meant to live saved. He knew he was supposed to die that day. But Max paid the price for him. He knew that he was never going to see his wife and his children again. He knew that every day was a day he wasn't supposed to have. And out of complete gratitude and love and thankfulness for what Max did, he dedicated the rest of his life to making sure that every single person would know who he was and that every single person would know that he died to save him. And I'm like, that is living saved. Put yourself in Francis' shoes and how would you respond if you were given this gift of life? What an absolute waste it would have been if Max died for Francis and Francis got out of that prison and then spent the rest of his life in misery. How in vain would that have been if Max gave up his life only for Francis to get out of that prison and then drink the rest of his life away or to be so drowned in sorrow and depression that he ignored the wife and children that Max died for him to see. And what a terrible dishonor to Max's name. If Jesus got out of that or Francis got out of that prison, and he was never really happy again. Actually, if you saw Francis living that way, you would be like, fool. What are you doing, Francis? Don't you realize the gift of life that you have been given? Max didn't die so that you could live a miserable life. Max died so that you could get out of this prison and then live the best life possible, enjoying the family and the loved ones around you. Don't let what he did for you be for vain, in vain. I understand there's so many reasons to be downcast. I mean, you were in a concentration camp for goodness sakes. 
Don't let what he did for you be for nothing. Do you see where I'm going here with this? See the parallel? Why is it so easy to see with Francis and Max, but yet it's so hard for us to see with us and Jesus? We don't have to imagine what it's like to be Francis because Jesus did the exact same thing for us, but on a much larger scale. Max died for Francis's earthly life. Jesus died for our eternal lives. Max died for Francis, an innocent prisoner. And Jesus died for you and for me, the guiltiest of sinners. He volunteered to switch places with us. He volunteered to take on all of the pain and all of the punishment and all that we deserve so that we could live life and live it to the fullest. And yet, how many of us are living less dedicated, less motivated lives than Francis did? How many of us have received the gift of salvation, but yet no one would ever know we are living lukewarm lives, completely unchanged by that act of love? How many of us have never even said that Jesus saved us? Could you imagine if if Francis got out of that prison and then he never shared that Max died to save him? That's ludicrous, right? But yet we whisper it for fear it might offend or hurt somebody's feelings. How many of us have allowed the promise of John 3.16 to go to the back of our mind and we just don't think about it anymore? We don't appreciate it. How many of us are not living, saved, or worse? How many of us have never even left the prison cell? If you are a believer of Jesus Christ, you are saved. You are saved. Your chains are broken. The prison door is wide open. You are free to go. Because Jesus volunteered to switch places with you and he died for you, it is finished. So now you can choose to run out of that prison cell and live life to the fullest, making sure to dedicate your life to the Lord and making sure that every single person would know who Jesus Christ was and every single person would know that Jesus died to save you. Or you could sit in that cell with your chains off and the door wide open. How foolish would that be? And what a waste of your life that Jesus died for you to have. If you are new here to learning about Jesus and who he is and what he did for you on the cross, you might be thinking, well, how how actually did God save you? It's not like you were going to die on that cross. That was 2,000 years ago. So what does that mean that God saves? And I'm going to explain this in the best way that I can. I was actually writing this message during the exact time that my dad was admitted into the hospital after getting COVID-19, and things took a turn for the worse. We were told it was going to be two hours, and those two hours turned into five days before he was released. And that first day, those 24 hours, I was coming undone. I could feel myself begin to unravel. I could not stop my thoughts, and I could not stop the fear from pouring in. And I cried out to God, I need your truth and your promises to calm my soul. And at that time I was writing this message, God saves, and I said, God, please save my dad. 
But even as I was saying that, I knew that the promise of John 3.16 was not a promise to save my dad from this earth. Actually, the Bible is very clear that 100% of us are going to die. How's that for a really good promise today? (laughs) And that promise that we're all going to die is actually embedded in the promise of John 3.16. God promises to save us because he promises that we will all die. And because of that, he promises that we will all need to be saved from the punishment of our sins. And so I knew that my dad could heal, and I knew that God could save him, but I also knew that he might not. My good friend and neighbor was praying the exact same prayers about her dad when her dad went into the hospital five months before, and her dad didn't make it. So how do I reconcile that as I lift my dad up? And how do I reconcile that as I pray? And I just felt the Lord's peace pour over me. And he said, Holly, this is exactly the promise you need right now. Because no matter what, no matter if you never see your dad again, your dad is saved. Because he became a recipient of that promise years ago when he committed his life to Jesus. So he will live forever. Not here. We can be sure of that. But in heaven, with our Father and on the new earth, that is the greatest hope of all. It is the best promise in God's word. Believers of Jesus Christ know that when we pass from this life, the promise sealed in John 3.16 is that God saves us from an eternal life in hell. We will spend eternity with our Father in heaven and on the new earth. And we get that gift because Jesus volunteered to switch places with us. We get that gift because Jesus took on our pain and our punishment and our judgment so that when we die, we bypass that judgment because of that sealed promise. And you know why that promise is sealed? You know why I put all of my hope and trust and faith in that promise? Because Jesus lives Because the grave could not hold him, because death could not defeat him, just like he said he wouldn't. And that means we live too, because Jesus showed us the way, because Jesus is the only way. And that means no matter how dark or how difficult this world gets or my life gets, and after this year, I've held on to those promises more than I ever have before, because in the end, our Heavenly Father and our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords reigns and is in control of all things, and He has the final say, and He knows the ultimate plan, and He knows the end game, and He says in His word that He wins, and that means we win too. That is how God saves. Guess what? Eternal life isn't even the only thing that John 3.16 entails. And that's not, what it, that's not the only thing that it meant for me that night as I was crying out to God to heal my dad. When we commit our lives to following Jesus, we are immediately sealed with the promise of John 3.16 that God saves. But that is not a promise that kicks in when we kick the bucket. That is a promise for today. That's not something we receive later. That is a promise for now. In John 5, 24, it restates John 3, 16, and it says, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. The minute you believe you are saved, 
It does not say that you will cross over. It says that you have crossed over. And you begin to experience the blessings of that eternal gift right now in present time. Not fully like you will someday, but to some significant measure. Because not only are you sealed with the promise of John 3.16, but you are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1.13 it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The minute you believe, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residency within your soul and helps you live saved in every area of your life if you allow him to. And on that night as I was crying out to God to heal my dad, not only was the promise of John 3.16 for my dad, but that promise was for me because I knew that no matter what would happen, that God would save me too, but in a different kind of way. I see him doing that with my friend who lost her dad. The power of the Holy Spirit within her is giving her daily strength and courage and hope and trust. And he would do that for me too. God saves. And it's never in the way that we would imagine, but it's always in his perfect will. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is John 10.10. It says... The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And you're like, wow, that's a really encouraging verse. <laughs> but here's why. Here's the clincher for me. But God. But God. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus didn't just come so that we would have eternal life. Jesus came so that we would have life now and live it to the fullest with him and through him. And only through his spirit is that made possible. Yes, there is so much pain in this world, but God. Yes, life is really, really hard, but God. Yes, there is disease and death and loss and sickness, but God. And if you are a non-believer, you might be thinking, those are the exact reasons I don't believe in God. The pain and the injustice and devastation everywhere I look. If God is so good, how can he allow so much evil to happen in the world? And I understand that question. That is a question that has been wrestled with since creation. But I don't look at these things and see them as evidence that there is no God. I look at these things and see them as evidence that there is an enemy, an enemy who is bound and bent and determined to destroy you, to make you think that justice will never come, to make you feel stuck and that things will never change, to make you believe that there is no God. But God says, I know that there is an enemy. That is why I've come to save you. That is why my son stood between you and the enemy. That is why my son died on the cross so that you could live life now to the fullest with him and through him and only through the hope and the promise that the blood of Jesus Christ gives. So how are you living this life? Are you living saved today? Are you embracing that gift of salvation today? You may have heard the phrase live loved. The Christian version is live saved. And you might be thinking, that sounds great you have no idea what I'm going through right now. You have no idea what I'm up against. I would love to live saved, but how do I live saved when it feels like I'm dying inside? I've asked that very same question before. There was a time in my life where I was completely broken, 
and the pains of sadness were so intense that I wondered if I would ever see brighter days again. And it was in that lowest moment of my life that I felt as if God lifted the veils off of my eyes and allowed me to see Jesus in a very personal and intimate way. He allowed me to see Jesus just like I did as that seven-year-old girl. And he allowed me to see just how much God loves me. And in that low moment, I felt God say to me, Holly, I know that it feels like you're losing. And I know that it feels like you're hard-pressed on every side. But I want you to remember this. I want you to remember this. To the world, it looked like I was losing too, but what looked like defeat to the world was actually the greatest victory of all time. How many of you needed to hear that today? How many of you feel like you're losing? How many of you feel like you're hard-pressed on every side? You are relating to Jesus as he suffered on the cross. But God saves, and it's never in the way that we would imagine. And the cross is the perfect example of that. No one ever thought that that's what winning would look like. But God knows what he's doing, and he doesn't ask us to figure it out or understand why. He just simply asks us to trust him and then live life to the fullest as we do that. And this perspective shed a whole new light for me on how I was living. It woke me up. I realized I was not living saved. I was living like a prisoner. What a slap in the face my actions were to Jesus. What a waste of my life that I was living for what he died for me to have. And I repented. I'm so sorry, God, for not grabbing hold of this life that you've given me. I'm so sorry for allowing my feelings to guide me rather than the truth of your word. And from that moment of revelation, I began to fight to live my fullest life. I began to fight to keep the perspective to the forefront of my mind. I never want to take for granted for what Jesus did for me. And in those moments where the burden feels so heavy and the temptation towards sadness starts sucking me down like a vacuum, I ask myself the question, am I living saved? Am I living like a daughter whose father just died to save her? And this helps me take steps towards my freedom. So as the worship team comes forward, would you take this time and name it? Where is the area in your life that you are not living saved? What is the area where you feel stuck, hopeless, like things are never going to change? I've tried and tried and tried. That is the area that God is speaking into today. That is the area that he wants saved. That is the area that needs redeemed. And maybe you have a lot of, a lot of areas. Just choose one. And when you choose that area, trust that the Holy Spirit within you will begin to transform that. Maybe your first step of living saved today is attending Celebrate Recovery. Maybe you have uh, been living in the prison of an addiction or a hang-up. Maybe you feel stuck in your marriage, hopeless. Maybe for you it's having a conversation with your spouse and for the first time setting up a counseling appointment. Maybe you have been drawn into temptations and for you your first step is stepping back from a friend group who has constantly been leading you into temptation. Maybe you have been in the prison of social media 
time to put down the phone. It's time to enjoy life and enjoy the kids and the spouse and the people that God put there for you to enjoy. Maybe it's just having more fun. You've lost your spark for life and your sense of adventure. You don't know how to have fun anymore. Maybe it's saying yes after a year of saying no. Maybe you have been a prisoner in your mind for far too long. Jesus did not die for you to stay in that prison in your mind. Commit to seeking help. Commit to reading the word. Commit to turning down the volume of those voices and cranking up the volume of his truth. And as you take these steps, keep that question to the forefront of your mind. Am I living saved? And let that be your compass to your true north. Don't let what Jesus did for you be for nothing. Maybe for you, your act of living saved begins right here in this room. You have never made the decision to follow Jesus. And you saw him today as your Lord and Savior. You saw what he did for you on the cross. You saw that it was your sin that put him there, but it was God's love that saved you. And you are ready today to begin living saved by committing your life to Jesus Christ. And if that is you, I would invite you to pray a prayer with me along with all your brothers and sisters in Christ in this room and online and in Alma. Would you pray silent to you, silently to yourself and repeat the prayer that I say out loud and ask God to come into your heart to forgive your sins and to help you live saved for the rest of your life. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, you are so good. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for my sins. Lord, I am ready to commit my life to following you. Please, God, help me live saved in every area of my life, starting today. In Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Church, I believe that God saved people today. I believe that chains fell off, and I believe that we welcomed new brothers and sisters into the family of God. Can we give God praise for what he's doing here this morning? God wants us to remember that we're saved, so then we'll live saved. And I couldn't think of a better way to live saved than by participating in communion this morning. On Passover, on the night before Jesus was betrayed, he must have known how easily it would have been for us to forget because he took time on that night to share with his disciples and the rest of his followers this very thing. Remember me. Remember what I've done for you. Remember that I died on the cross for you. Remember how much I love you. And do this in remembrance of me. And so if you are a believer of Jesus Christ, or if you made that decision for the very first time today, will you join me in living saved by celebrating in communion? 
And as you prepare your elements, and as the worship team leads us in the next song, would you come before the Lord, and would you repent or confess of anything that's standing in the way between you and your Savior? And then in a few moments, we'll take, worship, or we'll take communion together.